welcome to episode 15 of The Game Pit. This episode is one of our Council Chamber episodes, and it's a first impressions of the Essen Fair 2013. So what we're going to be doing today is looking back at the Essen Fair, talking about a few of the games that caught our eye in one way or another, and answering some other questions along the way. Now, when we started off the game pit about six months ago, it was always our intention to have other people join us. So this is our first episode where we have someone in the third chair. It is the man with the most soulful eyes in gaming. He put the takesy-backsies into no takesy-backsies. Puria! Hi, guys. Yay! <laughs> Welcome to the game pit, Puria. Thanks for having me on. That's quite all right. So with something as big as Essen, such a big show, so many different experiences everyone's having, we thought we'd get as wide a view as possible of everyone's experiences and try and cover as much as we can, more than just Sean and I could together. And don't forget that the Game Pit is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, and you can catch all our episodes on 2d6.org, along with a whole host of other gaming goodness. So, as Sean said during the intro there, we're going to be going through some very quick reviews here. These are just first impressions, certainly not as in-depth as our usual reviews. And also, we're just going to be chatting about certain questions, you know, different aspects of the show. And to kick off straight away, a first impression, Sean, hit us. Okay, first up for me, it's Steam Park from Cranio Creations, plays two to four in approximately 60 minutes. This game is basically a worker placement game with some dice thrown in. What you're trying to do is build up your Steam theme park and you're trying to attract visitors to this park and keep the rubbish that builds up around this down. The game starts off with a dice rolling mechanism where you're trying to roll dice to do your actions. These dice will represent the actions that you get to do. The first person to do this is going to take the first player card, which gives you a nice little bonus, which helps you clean up your, your theme park, and so on and so on. So in four players, the next player is going to get one cleanup action. The next player, I think, is one again. And the last player, every time, is going to get two dirt added to their theme park. So as you're building this up, you can only place your rides in certain places, like a purple ride must be placed next to a purple ride. And each of the, there's little huts that do little bonuses for you. They, they're going to have to be placed individually. They can't touch each other. So you're building up, and this mechanic, as I said, where you're rolling these dice, that's going to play a big part in this game, as myself and Roland found. We actually ended up we played a two player of this and we actually ended up having a little mini baby squabble right in the middle of Essen because I think we found that this mechanic was quite unfair. If you roll the wrong dice two or three times and the other person does it really quickly, they're gonna get that first player marker. Now the difference between the first player and the last player as in a two player version of this game we worked out the last go, it was a 17-point difference in a 60-point game. The dirt is very, very important because if you don't clean it up, it's massive penalties. We talked before about London, and London has a similar mechanic with the poverty, where if you don't clean up your poverty as you go, the poverty can really come back to haunt you and can completely scupper everything else you've done in the game. That's the main problem I have with this game. The artwork was slightly disappointing for me. I was expecting a lot more. I'd seen pictures on the internet and it looked much more impressive than it actually turned out to be. A little bit of a disappointment to me. Ronan? Sean, for sure. When Steam Park first came out, there wasn't a lot of information about it. We don't get pictures of components. There wasn't even a rule book available. 
but there was talk of this wonderful artwork and components from the artist who originally brought us Dixit. And when you see the components, they're nice. They're little cardboard cutout standees, an inch or two tall, but they're not the fantastic sort of artwork I was hoping for. Maybe my expectations were too high. Puri, what did you think when you first saw Steampark? I actually agree with the cutouts. They're, they're not really doing much for me in terms of the gameplay. I think, you know, either go the way, have some miniatures or just, you know, stick with your standard tokens. I, I saw some of the gameplay and I think it's a case of theme and look rather than real substance for me. I wasn't really interested, so I didn't even bother playing it, to be honest. I think they do make it pop out from your player mat a little bit but the colors kind of meld into one they're not dynamic enough to really sort of you can you can't really tell from a distance that you've got one green theme park ride or one blue theme park ride the the huts aren't different enough you have to really kind of get down and study what each hut looks like and i think it's a very very weak game that was tapped onto a theme almost yeah i think it was extremely light i don't think there's enough in there for a full 60 minute game i think the real time rolling of the dice was okay it, at least it's not straight up yahtzee three goes and what have you you can mix around you can go after certain actions if you need them if you need to clean up your park at a certain time you can go after those spades but it's not deep enough for the 60 minutes it's not deep enough for all this wow factor with the components standing up and all the rest of it there needs to be some meat on the bones and there just isn't any there so, Ronan, the argument we had, I don't think it was without merit. I think I was completely right. But that mechanic, ridiculous. It is ridiculous. It's not really fitting with the game. What happened there was I was busy concentrating on my dice, rolling away. Sean finished and folded his arms. I finished and grabbed the first player marker. And then we had a slight discussion with regards to whether if he'd finished and he said he'd finished, does that count as being first to finish? Or was it the person with that first player marker in the hand? Now, if they didn't make the marker, what did they make it? They made it for a reason. I had it. It was mine. We had to come to an agreement to just let it lie. No one got a bonus. No one got a penalty. Because as Sean said... It was more than a quarter of our points hinged on who picked up that piece you know, a second apart. It was crazy. Right, I think that's... Sean, what's your final thoughts on Steampark? Steampark uh, was a disappointment for me. It was one of the games I was really looking forward to, to seeing, playing, and I was... I would, say, would have said I was definitely going to pick it up at one stage, but after playing it, it became a no-no. So the first thing I think I wanted to ask you guys is... At the whole of the show, which game which came out surprised you most in a positive manner? Sean? Well, for me, I think we talked about this in episode 14.2, I believe. It's Palmyra, which was the tile-laying game set where the Roman Empire was going was taking over Palmyra. And it was a game that I actually wasn't massively convinced by i thought it looked nice but i didn't think that there was going to be anything for me in this game and as it turns out it was actually a really really simple but addictive game that i i really liked and i may even buy it post essen so i'm going to be doing a review of palmyra later so i'm not going to add any more puri have you got any thoughts on palmyra i actually have a game of this uh, in the hotel when we came back and um it's you know, it's a nice little tile lane game. I quite enjoyed it. I just don't think I need to own it. But we'll get to that when you do your review. Okay, cool. Uh, which game for you surprised you most in a good way, Puri? I think for me, it's probably Concordia. Um, I'd seen a little bit of this, but it wasn't really looking that interesting. The artwork was was a bit bland. And, um, I, I, you know, same design as Imperial, I think. It's something which I got a chance to play. 
and um, surprisingly really enjoyed it. It's normally not my cup of tea. Uh, it turned out actually to be a very good game. Um, it's got a nice little balance between having to build up uh, your position on the board and at the same time needing to draft additional cards to both give yourself more actions to do, but also to drive your endgame scoring. So, um, it, yeah, it was really good. And uh, I actually ended up buying it as well. And the reason I let you go first was because mine was also Concordia. It was I heard it was coming out from Matt Gertz. I was really excited. I wanted to see what it was about. No information until the week before the show. And then I read the rules and I thought, it all seemed a bit samey. It seemed like there wasn't much strategic width going on there. It was Everyone's going to be doing the same thing, just trying to eke out a point or two difference. When I saw it, I've heard people talking about playing it. When I saw the components that are in there, I was much more impressed than I thought I was going to be. And I ended up picking up a copy, and I'm really looking forward to playing it. So my surprise hit was Concordia as well. But it may still have the ugliest cover of all Essen games. <laughs> just saying. Worse than Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> It's not a great, it's not a great cover, but there there is a lot worse out there, surely. Yeah, and when you at least these one of the games that isn't a bad surprise. You pick off the lid, and there's loads of good stuff in there. So Puria, you wanted to talk about one of the games you played at the show. Yeah, we got a chance to play Space Cadets, um, specifically Dice Duel, which is the second in what I think is going to be a trilogy. It's a real-time dice rolling game uh, for anyone who's played Space Cadets. It is pretty much in the same vein. It's space combat. Um, it's two on two teams this time and um, it can scale anywhere from four to eight players the principle is pretty similar to space cadets you have engineering helm weapons sensors uh, shields and i believe tractor beams depending on the number of players different uh, roles are assigned to them and in fact if you play with the full complement one person is simply the captain and gets to boss everyone around um, and yeah this was I'm hesitant to say it was amazing. It was a lot of fun, but I think it, for us, fell a bit flat, mainly because we weren't playing with a full set. And I think it's one of those games that really needs uh, the full complement to really get that heart-pumping action you want um, and that little bit of excitement that's going to drive the game. I think as it stands, I'm looking forward to playing it again. I love to see another copy but i'm not sure i need to have that copy so yeah for for me with space cadets it was a game that i was mildly interested in but we went along to the booth and it's quite a lackluster design i think if i was gonna buy one of them it'd be the first one i think there's more involvement and do you, you really need to add the luck of a dice rolling game into this type of thing i'm not sure it just didn't sing to me Brandon. Well, I think one of the, the main problems with the main Space Cadets game, and I have played it, is the barrier to entry there. It is an absolute beast to teach. And Puri, I know you don't enjoy teaching the easiest of games. Is Does Dice Jewel get over that barrier to entry? Is it easier to teach? Is it an easier way to teach this sort of system? Oh, it's much simpler, yeah. I think um, if I was the publisher, I would have probably uh, reversed the order for publishing them. I would have done Dice Jewels first get everyone used to the concept. Um, it's much quicker to say, right, here's your dice, here's your station. You know, the dice are all actually fairly simple to understand and what they do. And then once everyone's used to the concept, release Space Cadets and get everyone to the full station. Because as you say, it's a real problem having to teach each of what it, in essence is a little miniature game for, for each person. So 
and you know those, those rules can take up to half an hour it seems to be going over really well at cons and then possibly taking away the enthusiasm for it now i heard on an, another podcast i think it was the secret cabal that they were saying that one was a moderator for a game and then that game was loads and loads of fun is it a game that goes over well at cons because the game's being moderated do you think the game needs a moderator What's your thoughts around that? Are there too much chance for sort of incidental cheating or things going wrong or arguments? It's, um, I think, firstly, to go back to the first point around needing the big teams, because, uh, for example, engineering is a critical one where it really doesn't work if you have, you know, half the cards in front of you and you're sharing that role for engineering because you really need someone to be able to stand back and manage it. So from, from the number of, of players you want the full complement and as you say you kind of are so involved in rolling your little dice that it's really hard to have the big picture as to what you're trying to achieve so the some of that excitement about right we really need to fire now whatever else is is lost if you're just sitting there and kind of your head down rolling your dice so um i can definitely see this being one of those which isn't really going to work in smaller groups or you know in a in a club somewhere it needs that kind of excitement needs the large count it needs someone you know egging you on telling you what's going on and uh, building up that excitement okay so your quick final thoughts on this one for Emporia i think i re- i'd love to try it again i think i really want to try it with a full number count but uh, i'm not sure it's going to be a keeper for me at least so uh, next we're going to talk about which game surprises in a bad way uh, ronan do you have any thoughts on that for me, it's going to be Amerigo. Now, I'm a bit of a Feld fanboy. I'm not rabid, but I do pretty much enjoy all of his games. In this case, the game, it looks ugly. It really seems like this victory point salad he's been flirting with in Trajan and Bora Bora has gone crazy here. Everything scores you a certain number of points. Every game seems to be close for no particularly good reason. It seemed light for a game of sort of that reputation and that size. And the box was just too damn big. It was never going to get my luggage to come home. So I was a bit disappointed in Amerigo. Uh, I actually have to agree with you. It's um, Having seen it in person, it's not particularly attractive, I think. And um, I kind of have the suspicions that Queen's just trying to get Feld on their books and have taken um, that dice tower mechanic they, they have the license on or the rights to and uh, gotten failed to do something with it um i don't think it quite works and uh, ultimately for me that's not really that interesting at the moment the interesting thing for me Rodan, is that it was one of the games we discussed in our very first trap or treasure episode i think it was episode nine possibly and i think you mentioned that as one of the games you were most excited about so to, for it to completely flip around by seeing it and it does look very very average boring and the only interest really is in that dice tower cube tower yeah i mean i ended up picking up north of 30 games in essen and going there amerigo was number three or four on my want list so it was way up high this was almost a guaranteed buy and i just it fell flat for me so sorry puria which one fell flat for you um i need to qualify this a little bit for me it's nations but not exactly fell flat um, I, I haven't had a chance to play the game yet, but it's one thing that really rubs me the wrong way, and that's box sizes. So Nations comes in this kind of, I think it's the same size as the Eclipse box, and it is empty. And I mean really empty. And, you know, there's nothing to do with the price. I think it was reasonable, and um, the production looks fine. 
but why the hell they have to have a box I could probably fit. Well, actually, I can tell you what I can fit into it because I tried this. It fits two shirts, a pair of jeans, boxer shorts, a toothbrush, a Kindle, a passport, and an iPad happily along with the original contents of the box. So not only can you play the game, but you can happily take it as your suitcase to get to weekend gaming. That is something. But probably you've got like Barbie and Ken size clothes, so that doesn't really matter. <laughs> oh, the giant picking on in there. I'm sure we could get at least a pair of your jeans in there, Sean. It's <laughs> a lot. Maybe of half. half. That's a lot of dead. Let's cut a leg off, maybe. I'm pretty sure I could bury at least two cats in that box. <laughs> sure. Did you have any thoughts on nations? No, just just your your overwhelming rant about sorting out the cards, which I will let you proceed and take on. Uh, I think I will take that on at some point later, but yeah, it's flipping cards come in three mixed up massive stacks and there's 25 different types and it took me forever to sort them out after opening the box and exactly the same as Puri. Now, I'm not as mad as he is with cutting down game boxes and keeping them all to a minimal size. He's He's got an issue with that, but he's right on this one. The Nations box is ridiculous ridiculously oversized but for me we've already talked about it so i won't dwell too long but it's steam park for exactly the reasons i've already stated i thought it was gonna look amazing i thought it was gonna play brilliantly and it did neither okay so we're gonna go on to another review now and it's ronan yeah and it's a game that we were both really excited about going into the show sean and that's rampage it's two to four players around 45 minutes it's from Repos Games, who've done Seven Wonders, Ghost Stories, various other games, and they're very much linked to the designer, who's Antoine Bowser, who's becoming more and more famous. Seven Wonders, Hanabi, Ghost Stories, Takanoko, Takedo, Little Prince Make Me a Planet, I could go on and on. This latest one he's made is kind of a take on the old 80s computer game called Rampage, and it's themed exactly the same way. You're playing the part of a giant monster, Godzilla or one of his buddies, and you're going to be coming into a city, and you're going to be trying to smash up the buildings and eat the people. A nice, fun family theme. Now, the buildings are made up of flat bits of cardboard, which are held up in layers by meeples. Meeples come in different colours. Um, the different colours are only relevant in that you're trying to collect sets of the different six different colours. To do that, you get 10 points at the end of the game. Also, um, each monster is going to get special powers, which are going to help them do certain things. They're going to get special scoring, so perhaps you want the most of the black meeples or the most of the blonde meeples, what have you. And they've actually themed that in some way into the names of the powers. Also, everyone gets a one-off special power, which is going to let them for example, draw three cards and use them so you have one super turn or be able to take a couple of extra actions or just to mix it up a tiny bit. This Same with all this game. There's kind of little gamey elements into this very fun, thematic, physical game. There's four actions you can do on your turn. You can do two of them. You can move. You have a kind of larger wooden figure, maybe four inches or so tall, or sitting on a, a basic wooden disc. In order to move, you pick off the larger figure and you flick the disc. Simple as that. There's um, dropping your monster. So if your disc has landed, it's touching the sidewalk of a building, you may hold your monster at shoulder height and drop it down right on top of that building with those bits of cardboard and the meeples. And you're trying to smash it all up and get the meeples out. If you manage to completely have a floor of the building with nothing on it, you get to eat that for a point. And then any meeples that are sitting around you at the end of your turn, you're going to be able to eat them as long as they're in your neighborhood. So you don't want to send things flying too far. 
There's also blow, where you can put your chin on top of your monster and blow to attempt to move meeples around the board. And the last thing is, there's vehicles around the uh, city, and if you're near one, you can take it. It's a little, again, little wooden piece, a couple of inches wide, and you can flick it off the top of your monster and attempt to hit the building. So that's all you're doing, is trying to smash together those cardboard meeples and try and eat them. Uh, it's really attractive, it's lovely to look at, it's a lot of fun, it's beautifully well produced. It was certainly a big hit at the show. I saw lots of people rushing to get it from the Repos booth. And it's kind of a light, fun game that's just got, like I said, it's got those few gamely elements. So, Ronan, we, we managed to get a game of this in uh, with your girls. And what a fun game! It looks amazing. It's so when you, when you build up that board, it just looks incredible, and I don't think I've ever seen a game that just for the spectacle that can come close to it so far. And on top of that, it's just fun. There's no real strategy or gaming elements, although you did accuse me of strategizing a little I bit have too ne- much. You are not a man to get very competitive about games very often. You were so competitive in this game. I don't know what happened to you. You were desperately trying to beat a seven-year-old and a ten-year-old. They were mocking me. You needed mocking. I you were just... You had zone. You had tunnel vision. You were starting to sweat. It was worrying. What a fun game. Absolutely. Just fun, 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 fun. It just, that's it. It's, it looks beautiful and it's a lot of fun. There's not much more you can say about this game. Okay, so I have a question. Because um, it... I have to say it did look amazing and um, I can imagine it being fun. Lots of people seem to enjoy it. Do you think there's maybe an issue with replayability once that kind of wears off in terms of the novelty? And more importantly, are you worried about other people spitting on your game? Firstly, yes. I think I might send up for some face masks or only ever play it in my own house. Imagine bringing it down to a public gaming group. I'm sure we could all name a couple of people who'd be like, I don't want that person spitting on my game. Yeah. We we both bought a copy of this in Essen, myself and Ronan. And Sean's is the copy that's going to be coming out. We got to the point where we were going, bring it down, everyone will love it. No, you bring it down, everyone will love it. No, you bring it down. <laughs> no, no, after you. <laughs> um, in terms of replayability, there's different, every every monster has a different powers. So there's three different types of card, and you're going to get um, a different one each time, basically. So I don't, however many variations there is. So you, you're not going to be playing the same monster twice. Now, the variations are not that massive. But it adds a little bit. So my daughter had one where she's trying to collect all the yellow meeples. They're called the blondes, right? So she was then attempting to look for those and gave her a little something to think about. It's not deep enough, really, I don't think, to worry about replayability. It's like saying there's no replayability in Lupin Louie or Pitch Car or something like that. It's that sort of an experience. It's got the toy factor to it. My kids just played with the meeples. I got them to put the stickers on because, you know, slave labor, it's free. Why not? And then they just ended up playing a game with them and they were making up circles and the circle of truth and I don't know, some kind of crazy stuff. It's got that fun to it that it shouldn't be considered alongside the same lines as proper games. You know, in terms of replayability and depth and what have you, it's a fun experience. It's something to unwind after a game of Through the Ages. It's something to play with kids and have fun. As long as you're playing someone else's. (laughs) As long as you're playing someone else's. So, Sean, uh, which game did you most want to play but didn't? Well, going up to Essen, the game I was kind of looking forward to seeing was Blueprints. And I really wanted to see component quality, how it played out, 
because both myself and Ronan had our misgivings. I think Ronan said it was a trap, and I think I said it was a tentative treasure. Now, we got to the Z-Man booth, and we had a little look, and there's this tiny, tiny little tiny box with terrible quality dice and terrible quality player mats, and they were trying to charge €29 for it the first day. So I immediately just decided that wasn't going to happen. I, I got the half and stormed off and I decided I wasn't even going to try and play it because that's way too much money for such a small little poorly constructed game. So I, that's the game I wanted to play but didn't. I was not as negative as you on the components of it. I was completely puzzled by the price though. It was €29 Euro sitting on the booth between €35 Euros for Glass Road and €35 Euros for Bruges. Both you know, pretty pretty full boxes and full on Euro games, and this tiny little dice game for only six Euro less, and the boxes were kind of falling apart. They weren't even good quality. I'm puzzled by that whole thing, but there you go. I I think the game actually looks interesting. I'd like to try it, but I'm not going to pay lots of money for it. Puri, did you look at blueprints? I'll be honest. The box seems to be so small. I must have walked straight past. Fair enough. Okay, so the game I most wanted to play but didn't was a uh, Russian Railroads. Now I knew nothing about this going in. When you're doing that first scan of Essen games, you're just going as quick as you can and silly little things can knock games off your want list. In this case, it's a railroad game. I'm just not interested, really. It turns out it's actually a deep two-hour worker placement game, which is getting rave reviews. I started picking up the buzz the first couple of days I was there at Essen, and I really wish I'd sat down and given it a go and just had a look at it. I'm pretty sure it would be in my suitcase now. I just never got around to it. It pretty much sold out, didn't it? And I think second day of Essen? Oh, well, there you go. Then even I'm even more gutted. Yeah, I have to agree, actually. I'm exactly the same as Ronan. I heard the words Russian and railroads, and I just blanked. I thought, oh, well, that's just going to be another boring train game. And then we started to see it out the corner of our eye. There was always a big crowd around it. It looked quite nice. So, oh, a train game that looks quite nice. Okay, fair enough. And then we kept walking past and we just seemed to sort of gradually get closer and closer. And then we took a closer look and realised it actually wasn't a strictly a train game. It, it seemed to be some sort of worker placement element to it. And yeah, definitely something I'd like to see now. So, yeah, I'm with Ronan on this one. Okay. And Puri, have you got a game that you most wanted to play but didn't? For me, that's probably hegemonic. Um, it's a game from Minion Games. Um, I think the designer is Oliver Kiley. It's pretty much in the vein of a 4X. Um, so falls, uh, well, it looks a bit like Eclipse. It's got the tiles, you um, build up your economy and everything else. And I was really hoping to give this a go because for me, I'm hoping that fills the niche uh, between Eclipse, which I enjoy, but is a little too economic for me. And Exodus, which I really love, is a fun game, but isn't the most strategic games. So um, it's unfortunately a three-hour game. Uh, the demos were quite long, so uh, it didn't quite happen. But uh, I'm really looking forward to trying this if uh, someone gets a copy. I saw Hegemonic, but as you say, it looked a bit too similar to Eclipse for me. Something's going to have to be amazing to be an Eclipse beta, and I'll hear about it if it's that great. So I wasn't that fast. Sean, Hegemonic? Uh, pretty much exactly what you said. I've recently been introduced to Eclipse. I've recently bought Eclipse. I got Ship Pack One in Essen, and it's got to be better than Eclipse for me to be interested in that type of game. And I can't see that Edgemonic is. Right, just a slight change to the question. 
I want to know now, what game did you most want to play but couldn't? Ronan? We did a preview of Canterbury, and we had a few comments there about the artwork and the play, and we had lots and lots of questions about it. So many elements of it sounded interesting. So many sounded like we weren't sure, and the proof of the pudding really needs to be in the eating. Unfortunately, somehow Canterbury ended up on the Strongholds booth, and not only could you not get a demo of it, it, there was no open copy of it. It was just up on a shelf at the back. You had to traipse your way through three or four tables just to even get near it to pick the box up to look at it. I'm really disappointed. I think it must have hampered the sales of Canterbury massively, but there was no chance to play it. Yeah, absolutely. I can't believe that. We were really interested in the game. I've still got misgivings about the game, but I really wanted to try it because it seemed very interesting. I wanted to see how it all pulled together. And to not even be given the chance to see it laid out on a table was just crazy. Did someone have it in for this game or something and they just didn't want it to sell? It was just amazingly bad sales. All right, Sean. So you didn't get to play Canterbury. What other game were you disappointed that you couldn't get to play? Well, for me, the game that I was sniffing around the whole time we were there was Archon or Archon Glory and Machination. This is a big game from Artipia Games, and it is a big game. It's huge. It took up a massive table. I know Puria got a chance to play it, so I'm interested in his thoughts, but it's the game I just couldn't get near to it. There was never a table free. They only had two or three tables with this game on. The game being so long, or appears to be quite a long game, even just to play a few rounds to see what it feels like, it wasn't really worth tanding around for an hour and missing loads of other stuff. So, it's, yeah, that for me is the game that I just couldn't get around to playing. There was a real rush for seats sometimes. There's a real competition for seats around that one. But, Puria, you managed to get in. What did you think about it? I did. Um, first basic first impressions, it's, it's interesting. But I don't think it's really doing anything which um, any other game hasn't already done. Okay, but do you want to tell us about the game that you wanted to play but couldn't? So for me, that uh, was probably Caverna. Um, I actually got rid of my copy of Agricola a while ago, um, mainly because I like it, I don't love it, and there are lots of other people who have a copy. So for me, I was looking for Caverna to possibly be that replacement um, if it did something interesting. But honestly, trying to get a demo... Uh, it was quite full, quite busy, so it uh, didn't happen. And actually, after a while, I, I didn't really get the buzz that I was going to love it. So I ended up not demoing it or trying it at all. Caverna was one of those games that was in this huge asthma day area. They probably had 20 or 25 demo tables. The problem being they had probably had 40 or 50 games they were trying to demo. They linked up with so many different, different publishers they had so many in-demand games there that you just couldn't get near it. You couldn't get near that whole area. I only ever skirted around the edge of it. There's Prosperity and Spirium and Caverna and uh, Nations. And I don't even know how many games. There was just tons of them around that area. Sean, did you get to have a look at Caverna? Only from a distance. As you said, there were so many games around it and there wasn't enough copies out for, for a game that spiked a lot of interest, especially because of the success of uh, Agricola. But, yeah, so you just couldn't really get near to it. But was, was, I, was I really disappointed? Probably not. So, Sean, what's the next game you want to talk about? Well, this is a game we covered in episode 14.2 again. And this is a game called Carnival Zombie from Albe Pavo and Raven Distribution. It plays one to six players with a playing time of about 90 minutes. 
So Carnival Zombie, what is it? It's a, a zombie game where you're in Venice and there's a giant behemoth-type titan awakening from death and he's about to destroy the whole city. So you've got to get out of the city, but what this titan is doing is raising dead back to life and they are now attacking you. So you play this game, it's, there's a night and a day phase. You start on the night phase and basically what you're doing at night is you're building up your defences and you're just trying to survive the night. You're going to be attacked from all quarters by different types of zombies. Now these guys, will some will move quicker, some will do more damage, some can do special attacks. There's going to be a special boss character attacking you some the further you go the more bosses come into it and make it more difficult for you then you're going to go on to a day phase and this is where you explore the city so you're trying to find items trying to get more barriers into your collection so you can build up this defense wall again and you're moving through the city towards your goal now you can't move too quickly because you won't have enough turns left to build up these defenses for the night turn so it's an interesting game myself and ronan managed to have a quick go well a quick go ha ha a rather long go and most of that was spent reading the rule book some of which on the english rule book that given that there is an italian rule book and an english rule book portions of the english rule book are in italian which is really helpful given that it's the most spaced out weirdly put together and completely odd rule book ever made i think ronan just sat there laughing for an hour while he tried to decipher what the hell was going on with with the game Surely. when we started playing it yeah it was laugh or cry yeah well yeah there was <laughs> there was a, a few times where you nearly went the other way but we managed to pull you around and we got around to playing the game and i think somewhere Behind this crazy rule book, there might actually be a half decent game. There is a definite siege feeling where you're under pressure and all these things are attacking you, and you do feel it, you feel the pressure, and you do have to work together. We completely discarded the Captain Terror ruling where he basically tells everyone what to do, otherwise, we'd have got in a real fight. But I think there is a game hidden behind an awful rule book, Ronan. The rule book. It's hard to get past it. It was a traumatic experience. And actually, it really affected our play because it was hard to enjoy the game when we were just trying to work out what to do and fighting the mechanics and trying to work out from symbols what the bits in Italian actually meant. And it, it was a struggle. The first game was such a struggle. But it did feel pretty thematic. The night time, it was interesting in that... You have three waves of attacks coming towards you, or possibly four. But the first one's the most important one, because that's the one that's got the most amount of time to get towards you and actually start causing you harm. Because until the zombies break down the barricades around you, they can't actually harm your own characters, which is all that matters. So those first couple of waves can get to you. The ones behind them can't, but you've got to make a route out at some point. So that's what they're important for, and you're trying to, to manage it. So it does actually feel thematic in terms of that. It's survive, 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 then bang, make a route for escape and get out as quick as you can for the dawn in order to stock up again. It's hard to give a proper opinion because of the struggles we had playing it. I'm a little bit thinking for the length of game, 
is there enough game there? Because it does take a while to play. A lot of, like I say, the decisions we had were more decisions on what the rule meant rather than what we were doing as, as a team. So I will play it again. I did. I can't say I didn't enjoy playing the game because it was interesting. But it needs a couple more plays to, to work out what's going on with it. Pori, have you got any thoughts okay. on Carnival Zombie? Well, I just had a question, really. Do you think it's, you know, yes, okay, so it might need a polish and maybe a second edition, tidied up rulebook, but do you think it might find a place in your co-op library? Or has a place there, at least? It fills a niche that isn't being filled at the moment? Well, for me, Pori, it's already in my co-op library because I actually bought the game. But uh, just, yeah, I think it's different. I think if you do like if you like zombie games for a start, I don't think there's anything quite like this in in that genre j- just yet. And I do think it's it's very thematic. I don't think the components are a great quality. The board it, it lurches from looking really nice to looking absolutely awful. So, but yeah, there's something about it that just grabs me. I've got slight concerns over replayability. I don't think I think the only changes are going to be which bosses come out and what have you I don't I don't think it's going to change enough there are different endings you can choose but that's the player choice the game itself seems like it could get a bit samey but anyway Sean what's your last thoughts on Carnival Zombie as I said I think there is a game hidden in there somewhere and I look forward to exploring that game and I look forward to seeing if Ronan's right about the replayability and whether it does have that longevity about it but for now I'm quite excited to play it so Ronan what was the best looking game on the show for you well it's a bit of an unusual one because i don't think it's a game i would ever ever play and i certainly will never own but i walked around the corner at one point and i saw blocks in the west which is a 2013 war game release on a table right next to blocks in the east which was a 2012 war game release <laughs> they're hard to miss they are they are <laughs> massive you know that there's actually blocks in Africa coming out at next Essen, and I think blocks in so it might be Asia coming out 2015. There's a whole plan. There's gonna be four of them at least. They are amazing. They are huge, and all these blocks laid out this sort of 3D aspect was just completely stunning. It is the one moment where I walked to court around a corner, saw a game, and went, "Wow, what is that?" I think you've been sopping back on Granny's special juice. What are you talking about? That game is. It's just a map with some blocks. An amazing, huge map with <laughs> wicked-looking blocks. That It looks so interesting. I wish I had the time and concentration to actually bother getting into it. Okay, I think you're, you're, it is definitely impressive. But, you know, as we all know, size is not everything. <laughs> <laughs> it, it is ultimately a block game. It is not really pretty. It is impressive, but that's its huge scale. And... You know, I think to call it the best-looking game is is maybe pushing it a little. You guys, you're dead inside, man. You're the, where's the, where's the <laughs> ten-year-old child who would have seen that and gone, <gasps> "Wow!" No, they wouldn't, because there was no swords and magic fireballs or. or I said ten-year-old cop- child, not you now. <laughs> Sean, what's your best-looking game of the show, you philistines? Uh, we've already talked about it. It's Rampage. I love that cartoony colorful feel to it and as i said once that once those buildings are actually built on the board it just leaps out of you what an amazing looking game and nothing around it that quite matches up for me yeah actually um it did look amazing and uh, it reminded me a little bit of town center i don't know why obviously it's very different but the whole 
3D block thing is very appealing. I can't believe you brought up Town Center. <laughs> that's that's cheeky. Okay, somebody forgot to add me to an Indiegogo order, by the way. No name. <gasps> Dude, you could have bought it in Essen. I didn't want to. I was crying over it. Oh, I was yeah. too upset. Rampage is is a lovely looking game. I have to agree with Sean. It's not as good as Blocks in the West, but it is a nice looking <laughs> game. <laughs> but talking about slightly odd choices, Maria, what's your choice? I think this is an odd. It's this year's release from Frego Games. So um, they have in the past released Snow Tales, and this year they went back, revisited it, and it was released as Mush Mush. And it is gorgeous. It has a huge map. It has lovely little tree miniatures. It's got little house miniatures, as always, functionally, probably with no real purpose. But it is very pretty. And um, I'm slightly partial to the whole dog theme. But it, it just set up. It looks impressive. And it looks like it's going to be a hoot to play. See, now, Poria, you mentioned this to me. So I went and had a look at it. <laughs> I haven't even heard and, what you're going to say, but I can only imagine. <laughs> and it just looks like someone's model railway went terribly wrong. It just looks like a just an, um, a sea of white with a couple of buildings and some lame little trees. Okay. To be honest, do you have a better pick? Because I'm not super impressed with Mush Mush either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where you were going with this, but um, let's just say I don't agree. I think you might have got it mixed up with the next one, which is Sean. What was your ugliest or least attractive game of the show? Well, Ronan, it was your good self that drew my attention to the merits of this pretty little peach. When you drew my attention to Canalis, it just looks like somebody's got a magazine and cut out a game and just stuck things together it looks hideous it just there's no design quality to it at all i know that we've we have mocked countdown and and spoke about how amerigo it doesn't look the greatest but they look beautiful next to this odd looking creation i have to agree with you on this one it's prototype quality isn't really doing a prototype justice it's not appealing anyway. And to be honest, I think for me personally, the whole Tempest range is just ugly. And this one's maybe the worst, hands down. I, I This was probably my ugliest game of the show. I chose something else just for variety's sake. I was so amazed by how ugly it was. I went and got Sean and showed him. Just Am I seeing this right? It is, is completely right. It's a poor prototype standard. It's like I went down to a stationery shop and cut out some bits of card and made a game out of it. Incredible. I can't believe that's the finished product from a big company. I think you're right. The Tempest, the whole... I talked about it before, the aesthetic and idea of the Tempest games. I'm not a fan of it. But there has been some good games come out of it. Canalis could be a great game. I don't know. I'm never going to play it with those bits. Puria, take me to a land of something slightly less ugly. I was listening to your last podcast and you mentioned Countdown Special Ops and I was pretty sure you were exaggerating and several very large headed posters later I have to agree with you I don't know what they were on when they drew those pictures up it is the worst type of like photoshopped static artwork 
and it's really put me off. I don't care how great that game is. As it is, I can't stand to play that game. Yeah, they um they had quite a nice booth actually in you know, like a enclosed play area, but I was too scared to go in and play the game because they had that artwork everywhere and like meter tall posters of the card artwork. I just don't think they realise. <laughs> In the in the flesh, it was even worse. It's just the, well, thank God Canardis was there for the you know Photoshop in the nineteen eighties. That would have been great. <laughs> I can't even no, it imagine. <laughs> it still, even in the nineteen forties, that would still been shocking. <laughs> anyway, I think I think we've uh, lambasted poor old Countdown Special Ops enough now. Ronan, any, have you got another one for us? I'll throw one more beauty your way, and it's Conjurers. Now, there's two bits of the artwork to Conjurers. One's the cards. Now, the cards have got really horrible graphic design, very static, as Bruce said about Countdown, just so bland. The artwork itself is not great. The design of the cards is awful. But that board, I am not joking you, if I sent my seven-year-old little girl off to draw me a game board and she came back with that, she'd be in trouble. It's one of those, if you did draw it at school, you'd be sent round to all the other classrooms to show your terrible work. <laughs> to show, to be told <laughs> off and not trying. <laughs> Amazing! Just, I couldn't believe that was the actual board artwork. It's a plain green block with some kind of line drawings on it. Oh, just awful. I can only hope this has come from someone who's tried to do the publishing, the drawing, the designing, and everything in one go, because anything else is fairly embarrassing, I have to say. You want to hope no, one, no one's getting paid to do that artwork, wouldn't you? But what is that board cover? The the, the box cover, rather. What is that box cover about? It's just... it's It doesn't let... There's nothing to do with that. It's still terrible artwork, but that doesn't marry up with the board. And then the board, in turn, doesn't marry up with the cards. It's like there's three different games been melded together because they were all terribly done. <laughs> I don't look, it's someone's baby, right? Someone left it somewhere. <laughs> I think we've been mean enough to the games, but that we're able to pick out three that bad is a bit of a worry. Oh, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on to another review. Okay, so we've talked about our ugly games, and now let's move on to another review. So, as we mentioned earlier, I did get a chance to play Archon, Glory and Machinations. It's a game from Artipia Games, and it's a card-driven worker placement game where you are in pretty much Euro-standard fashion trying to convert goods into points. It has a little bit of that twerk mechanic where um, all the players at the same time collectively need to ensure that they protect and defend the city by sending out their warriors and the whole thing is played over three repeating seasons a slight novelty i guess is around the cards that you use to um, place your workers so taking the cards away it is pretty much a standard worker placement game but some of the cards let you change the way you place your workers so for example one of them allows you to occupy the same space as another player another one lets you play two meeples uh, in a row he's basically taking two actions in a row uh, and another one allows you to make the use of that space more expensive for following players and so on and so forth and as you go through the game you have a deck 
of 10 cards and you can upgrade from the standard action and incorporate these better cards into your deck. So as the game progresses, you'll be able to manipulate your action selection. Poria, one of the reasons I didn't buy this game is that it just seemed a little bit daunting to me. That that board is just massive and there's so much artwork on it and there looks to be loads going on. It seems to be really busy. Is that the case? I think, yeah, it's um, a really bad choice here in terms of the graphic design because, to be honest, um, the reason I got a chance to play it was because I kind of jumped into a game where four players were about to start and they were nice enough to let me join as the fifth. So I'd missed some of the earlier rules explanations. And, you know, with a quick recap, it's all fairly standard stuff and um, you could probably, you know, explain all that in a couple of minutes and there's no real complexity. But it's just because that board is so busy. When you just look at it, it just looks like, I don't want to say it, but it looks a bit like someone vomited a worker placement game onto the board. And, um, you know, the cards are kind of pretty and everything else, but it just makes the game a lot harder to learn than it really needs to. And uh, something that slightly put me off, I actually didn't really find the game that engaging anyway, but that on top of it just made it worse. So, so uh, in terms of the game itself, was there any innovation at all which made that sort of effort to learn it worthwhile? I think, you know, if, if someone's going to find this interesting, it's probably because of the cards. If you take away the cards, and I really don't see that much reason why the game couldn't be stripped of that mechanic, um, there's nothing new here. And it's clearly come from someone taking worker placement. We'll add in the Dominion card management. And in fact, the 10 cards you have are managed five at a time. So you play five first, and then you play the other five that you've set aside, then you get to redraw all 10 again and play them again. And it's slightly interesting, but is it really that interesting to own another worker placement? I don't think so. So, Puria, just sum up quickly on what you think of Archon. I think it looks, you know, it, it's not bad. It's good production values. It's slightly interesting, and I'm sure one or two people are going to say they like it and good on them. But for me personally, it's... You know, try before you buy. And if you find that card system interesting, then by all means have a look. But beyond that, I think it's just another vanilla and decent worker placement game. So, um, which publishers impressed you the most on the show? So, for me, it was Eagle Games. They didn't have the most impressive booth at Essen, but what I do think they had was two very impressive games. They had Triassic Terror, looks amazing. Seems very interesting. And on top of that, they had Francis Drake, which I've had the opportunity to play, which is a fantastic game and looks, again, incredible. The only reason I didn't pick up either in Essen was just the fact that they're quite pricey and they weigh a lot. So I was worried about getting the baggage home. But I'll almost definitely pick up Francis Drake and I'm still very interested in Triassic Terror. Well, I think you're talking to two of the converted over here in terms of Francis Drake. I did one play and bought it, and I'm so amazed by what's in that box. It's just beautiful. I know Puria took my recommendation. Have you opened it yet, Puria? It hasn't arrived yet, so I'm itching to play it. And to be honest, you know, Mush Mush was half a joke because I didn't even think about Francis Drake because I have bought it. I didn't think about it during the show, but it does look amazing. And as you say, and to be honest, that's all Eagle really needed to do, just 
big table, set up Francis Drake, and let it do its magic. Okay, so the publisher which impressed me most, I'm quite surprised, was G3 Games. Now, I don't think they've been very big before the show, but they had in the main hall one a big, huge area. It was spacious. They had plenty of tables. They had three different games out, main games out, which were Seven Days of Wester Plata, we're going to talk about later, and Enclave and Craftsman. They had loads of demos there who knew the games, who were able to answer questions immediately when you asked them. They were clearly, they were all in bright pink t-shirts. They gave you free sweets if you bought their games. They had a discount if you bought more than one game. Their designers were there, and they, everyone was really super friendly. I just they really impressed me with their effort. You could play their games and that always is gonna to lead to sales. Did anyone else stop by G three? Yeah, I, for the same reasons as you, that is the way that it should be. And I think we're gonna talk about our desires for S and later on. But that's the way I think a, a booth should be set up. The games were in the background, they were available, but they weren't overpowering and all that was on in their space was this nice spacious area with tables where nobody was bumping into you and if anyone wanted to come and look uh, look at the games they weren't having to hover over you making you feel uncomfortable so yeah that's the way to do it i didn't really have a look at enclave so much but we we had a game of western platter and i watched the game of craftsman so i felt much more comfortable in the g3 barrier okay so puria which publisher impressed you the most for me, it was actually uh, Quind Games, and it was less to do with the space. It was fine. They had a fairly open area, a couple of tables. But for me, I was slightly aware of this last year with the Master Print editions. But um, having pre-ordered this year an edition of Homesteaders for, I think, 18 euros, that's fantastic value. And I had a quick peek later uh, when I got home, and it looks really good. And I know you've gone on about this game a few times, and I think a publisher that every year is delivering really good quality editions like that for for value for money, I think uh, is doing a good job. Yeah, I'm super, super happy that you've got that game in a lovely edition and I've still got my first edition. I didn't know it was going for 18 euro. My one hasn't got the best components. It was their first game. It is a, a fantastic game. I love it to bits, but I wish I knew the pretty one was available. I'm sorry. I, I let you down. Again. So thank you for listening to the first part of our Council Chamber Essen First Impressions. Join us next time when we'll be doing some more quick reviews and discussing some more issues surrounding the Spiel Fair. The Game Pit is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Go to www.dicetowernetwork.com for a collection of the best in gaming podcasts. You can find us, along with a whole host of other gaming goodness, on 2d6.org. You can also find us on Twitter at GamePitPodcast. If you'd like to send us a question or just have a general chat, we're on TheGamePitPodcast at gmail.com. Music by Eve Aaron.